Support for Georgia College Connections comes from Georgia College, Georgia's public liberal arts university, providing the experience students would expect from a private college with the affordability of a public university. For more information, gcsu.edu. Thank you for tuning in to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. Today, we're convening another in our series of collaborations with the Georgia College STEM Club to bring their Science Cafe to our radio audience. The Science Cafe will convene again at 6.30 p.m. Monday, February 27th at the Blackbird Coffee in downtown Milledgeville. And the topic of this Science Cafe will be the Zika virus. Joining me in the studio to preview this Science Cafe is Georgia College Biology Professor Casey Karen. Casey Karen, welcome back to the WRGC studio. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure, although I am a little bit trepidatious about our conversation today. <laughs> so, but that being the case, let us just dive in. And we're talking about the Zika virus. And just to start our conversation off, I thought conversationally, what is the Zika virus? So the Zika virus is from this Flaviviridae family. So it has related viruses that people may have heard of, like dengue virus and chikungunya virus that are also transmitted by mosquitoes. It's been around since the mid-1900s. We've known about it. There have been small outbreaks in Africa and Asia. And then recently, there was a pretty large outbreak in Brazil during the Olympics. So that's when people really started taking notice. It started becoming more of a problem. Well, that's interesting. You, of course, um, was aware of this kind of more modern, I want to say appreciation, but that doesn't exactly strike me as the right word. Maybe understanding <laughs> or fear, this more modern <laughs> fear of the Zika virus. So I knew it had been around and knew that our more modern understanding of it was something a little bit out of place, but I did not understand it was that old. So it's actually been documented for well over a century? I think... I have down 1947, it was discovered in a monkey first, and then it was found in humans. And you'd have small outbreaks every once in a while, but it wasn't until more recently that we had more larger outbreaks. And now that it's sort of in more places around the world, there's a big concerted effort to put money into research that we can really understand more. Because even though it's been around and we've known about it, there hasn't been a lot of research into it. So we don't know that much about the virus like we do of dengue or chikungunya. And when thinking about, I guess, happenings in public health like this, is it that common for us to know that there are these diseases out there, but until there's a kind of ignition point, we don't know as much about them? I mean, I think if they're rare, they're not going to get as much notoriety and there's not going to be as much of a push to put money into something that's only affecting a small number of people. And it was also only recently that we discovered that there was a link with some more uh, serious complications like microcephaly in children of infected pregnant women and Guillain-Barre syndrome. So before it was really just causing a mild, if any symptoms, just a mild sort of infection that would go away on its own. And so there didn't really seem to be a need to really find treatments or vaccines or anything like that for the virus. I thought now I'd ask you just, you've mentioned it a little bit in several of the responses that you've given, but why did this explode on the scene really in that last year? So, you know, obviously the outbreak was much bigger than we'd seen before, and maybe part of that were the conditions in Brazil and the fact that they were building up 
to have all of these people from around the world coming for the Olympics. But it was also because it was in this last outbreak, probably because it was much bigger, you had more people getting infected that they could actually see a spike in the number of babies being born with microcephaly in the region as well. And so they started looking into a connection and they now have enough evidence to draw a link between Zika virus infection in pregnant mothers and their babies being born with microcephaly and also with the development of Guillain-Barre syndrome. Right. Can you talk about a little of those associated, I'm not sure if you would call them illnesses or the diseases that result from people's being exposed to mm -hmm. the Zika virus? I complications, mean, how, maybe? Complications, okay. Can you talk a little bit about those for people who um, may have heard these words before, like microcephaly or Guillain-Barre syndrome, but may not understand like what exactly that means? Yeah, so for some women that are infected when they're pregnant, which they might not even have any symptoms, so they might not have known, that's the sort of scariest part, is that there can be sort of neurological issues with the development of their fetus. So when they're born, they have small heads and small brain size, and there are other neurological symptoms associated with that. And then in the adult that's infected, sometimes a few days to a couple weeks later, you, you can develop Guillain-Barre syndrome. It's pretty rare so most people that get a Zika virus infection do not develop it, but sometimes, and there are other viruses that can lead to Guillain-Barre syndrome as well, sometimes you have this immune response that develops to your own peripheral nervous system that's sort of stimulated by a viral infection. And so that leads to a few weeks of varying degrees of weakness and tingling in primarily the legs, maybe upper body and arms. In some cases, in the rare instance of getting Guillain-Barre syndrome, it can actually be much more severe and more muscles are sort of weaker and potentially leading to paralysis. Now, it generally, it can get much more severe and you might need to be on a breathing machine. Usually on its own, within a few weeks, those symptoms dissipate as well and you recover from it. All right. So... Zika virus and some of the related conditions are not necessarily permanent. Are they deadly, possibly? Possibly. Guillain-Barre, in rare instances, can lead to death in those really severe cases. But in just without the complications, Zika virus itself will resolve itself within a week to a few weeks, potentially without you even knowing you have the disease, but usually just mild symptoms. Well, there's still so much more to ask you about, but we, in this segment, are out of time. So we're going to take a short break right now. But if you're just joining us, you're listening to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. Today, we're reconvening a collaboration with the Georgia College STEM Club to bring their science cafe to our radio audience. I'm joined in the studio today by biology professor Casey Karen, and she's speaking on the topic of the Zika virus, which will be the subject of the next Science Cafe, and that'll be at 6.30 p.m. Monday, February 27th at the Blackbird Coffee in downtown Milledgeville. Stay tuned, and we'll be right back with more Georgia College Connections.
Thank you for staying tuned to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. We're convening another edition of our collaboration with the Georgia College STEM Club to bring their science cafe to our radio audience. Of course, if you're enjoying our conversation, I do invite you out to be a part of the Science Cafe, which will take place at 6.30 p.m. Monday, February 27th, in the basement of the Blackbird Coffee in downtown Milledgeville. Today, we're talking about the Zika virus, and joining me in the studio is Georgia College biology professor Casey Karen. Now, in that last segment, we were kind of just giving a pretty broad overview of the Zika virus. But in this segment, I want to talk a little bit about the transmission of this virus. And one of the things that's interesting to me is that this virus, it really blew up on the world stage this last summer, roughly around the same time as the Olympics, um, a, a big global event that would be bringing people all over the world to a specific area. And I was wondering if we might just talk about just the a kind of transmission of what would have been one time localized public health issues into a now like a global concern because of the way that we travel about. It really was localized to small outbreaks for quite some time. And then it was actually thought that someone attending the World Cup maybe brought over Zika virus to Brazil originally and then it was able to, you know, if a human is traveling and it's in their blood and a, a mosquito feeds on them, then it can pass it on to another human and then get in the mosquito population in that new geographical area. And that can lead to sort of bigger outbreaks. And so we also know that there's sexual transmission as well. And so without knowing anything about Zika, not knowing that it was a real problem in Brazil, no one was taking any specific precautions there. And then all of these people coming in from parts in the world, they could then be infected with it without even knowing, go back to their own home country and transmit it to other people sexually. And then if that home country was in a region where the mosquito that transmits it exists naturally, then it could get into the mosquito population. So that's what we've seen in, a, in America. We've seen a few cases in Florida and Georgia where they were mosquito-borne transmissions. Additionally, with some of these mosquito-borne transmissions, we're seeing the regions that the mosquitoes are existing and able to transmit these diseases is sort of migrating north in conjunction with climate change. So we think, you know, we've also never really saw chikungunya in the United States, and there have been a few cases in Florida in recent years. So that's helping to expand the region that you'll see Zika virus. And so we're beginning to see the Zika virus really in our own backyard. How big of a concern is that for people like us and our radio audience and here in central Georgia? Yeah, so that was actually one of the reasons that we wanted to do a Zika virus science cafe is that in the next couple of mosquito seasons, it may become something that we see more mosquito-borne transmission of Zika virus in Florida and Georgia. So this is something that can be of concern. You know, we have to wait and see what happens, but we're seeing it expanding pretty rapidly during the last mosquito season. And so it's something that we're really trying to be prepared for to try to help prevent transmission. And really the best way at this point to prevent it is mosquito control. There's a lot of research now going into trying to make a vaccine, but that will definitely take several years. I think there's one that's going to start a phase two clinical trial in March. So the sort of safety efficacy phase one was already done, and now they'll try to expand it to more people. Because 
it's a similar virus to some of the ones that we've seen for a while and have vaccines that we're working on for those. There's several types of vaccines that we're already sort of working on making and trying to see if any of those are going to be effective. And then it could be in these areas where we would see mosquito-borne Zika virus transmission that we could try to vaccinate. And when we talk about a vaccination or trying to come up with a vaccine, when we have these kind of global health concerns, are these vaccines treated differently than other medications that would go through an approval process? Are, in, in other like words, expedited. Are they, yes, expedited or fast-tracked in any way. I think they might be a bit, we're definitely throwing quite a bit of money at it. And I think that can help to expedite things, but I'm sure that they're going to really try to make sure that it's going to be just as safe as um, any other vaccine that gets through. The standards are still going to be just as high, but there might be sort of more money and more people working on it. So it might be able to be expedited, kind of like we saw with the Ebola virus vaccine, where they worked on that pretty quickly. And we have something that looks like it might be pretty good if there's another large outbreak um, or any kind of outbreak, really, to try to combat and, and prevent it from becoming a really large outbreak. It's happened again. We're out of time in this segment, so we're going to take another short break. But if you're just joining us, we're talking about the Zika virus here on Georgia College Connections. And this conversation is a part of our collaboration with the Georgia College STEM Club to bring the topics of their science cafe to our radio audience. Now, joining me in the studios, as she often does for these um, science cafe conversations, is Georgia College biology professor Casey Karen. So stay tuned, and we'll be right back with more Georgia College Connections. Thank you for staying tuned to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. Again, today we're convening a collaboration with the Georgia College STEM Club to bring their science cafes to our radio audience. Now, the topic of this next science cafe is the Zika virus, and they'll be convening at 6.30 p.m. Monday, February 27th in the basement of the Blackbird Coffee for the next science cafe. So if you find our conversation interesting or perhaps alarming, you might want to join them out there at 6.30 p.m. Monday, February 27th. 
for the next Science Cafe. Well, joining me in the studio for this conversation, as she often does, is Casey Karen. She is a Georgia College biology professor. Now, as we were leaving that last segment, we were talking about the development of a vaccine to try to um, ward off the Zika virus. And um, one thing that um, we hadn't touched upon was what are the other parts of the reaction to Zika virus and how scientists, governments, and other public health officials are trying to combat the Zika virus? Yeah, so a lot of different organizations have come up with sort of strategic plans of how to approach this. And the WHO has sort of a four-pronged system that a lot of other organizations are similar to. The first one is a detection and surveillance, so trying to come up with better ways to be able to detect it, primarily since a lot of people that are infected with Zika don't have any symptoms. So trying to have a better surveillance system can help you stay on top of where it's spreading to. And then the next one is prevention. And so right now, the best preventative that we have is mosquito control. So that's sort of the biggest one is trying to make sure that you're preventing the mosquito-borne transmission. And then communication is another prevention, sort of important part of prevention and being able to make sure that people know how to prevent against mosquitoes. But also for the sexual transmission, knowing that we're not entirely sure how long Zika or infectious Zika virus can remain in semen. And there's some evidence to show we see viral genomes in semen for months after an infection but we don't know if that's actually infectious virus. The suggestion is to avoid sex or use condoms for six months after symptoms of Zika virus, or really after just traveling to a place where Zika virus is to sort of be sure, since a minority of infected individuals actually have any symptoms. And then a third one is just care and support, so making sure that there's care for individuals with Zika virus infections and support for babies born with microcephaly as a result of a Zika virus infection. And then the last one is research. And that sort of the more basic research we have, the more we understand it, the more idea for treatments we can find, and also vaccine research. So all of that together will hopefully allow us to control Zika virus and make sure that it doesn't become this really large global pandemic. And now we commonly think of World Health Organization, you know, perhaps they are the U.S. government really trying to carry out these strategies. But are there roles that individuals can play in trying to help with this four pronged approach to trying to prevent the virus? So one thing would be trying to make sure that you're preventing environments that are supportive of mosquito breeding grounds and growth to control those populations. So any standing water, making sure bird baths and things like that, these are things that you have to try to keep an eye on to make sure that you're not going to allow for breeding grounds of mosquitoes in your area. And then also the idea of sexual transmission. So just being really safe in that uh, respect can help to cut down on transmission as well. And, and so this is going to be something that I think perhaps last summer, people who are traveling internationally, especially to uh, South and Central America, to the Caribbean, to be more aware of. But as uh, we've said a few times during this conversation, this uh, transmission area is really growing into where we live here. Florida last year, South Georgia probably this summer, on up into Central Georgia. And of course, the, with the traveling of individuals, that area grows larger and larger um, you know, each day. Now, we're coming to the close of our conversation today. And, you know, I thought I'd ask you, what caused you all to want to do this science cafe about the Zika virus? 
So we really thought it was good timing to sort of prepare for the upcoming mosquito season, make sure people know about the disease more, know that it could really affect them even if they don't travel outside of the U.S., know prevention methods, and just being aware of something like this since it's becoming a really global disease. As we were talking a little bit before our interview, y'all are actually thinking of some uh, fun and interesting ways to try to just uh, build people's knowledge about Zika virus. Could you bring us into uh, the Science Cafe, if you would? Yeah, so we try to change up some of the formats of the Science Cafe to keep it interesting. The basic idea is having discussions, but we've also had some booths where people have some interactive events that they can take part of. And this time we're actually having it uh, as a trivia format. So there'll be a bit of a competition, you'll form teams, we'll have some trivia questions about Zika virus that are generally common knowledge within the news, not really molecular virology questions or anything like that. And the group will get gift certificates to Blackbird. Well, as our final thought today, what would you tell our audience members if they were to ask, you know, what is the really the main takeaway that I need to understand about Zika virus? I imagine there can't really be one. What's just off the top of your head? What would you want people to know if they were asking you about this um, um, health concern? Pretty much the major issue is for pregnant women. And other than that, I, you know, I just think it's really important not to freak out about these things and have this sort of completely overzealous reaction. But it is important to keep it in mind and to try to think of ways to prevent it, to try to help keep it um, in control and not let it spread too much so that um, pregnant women don't have as much to worry about. So it's, you know, it's a combination of, of the greater consciousness of you know, how it affects us as a society, but also ways that you can actively try to prevent it in your community. I mean, either you know, being mindful of when you travel, but also mindful of your surroundings when you're at home. Again, you know, trying not to keep that standing water. Also, if you know you're in an area where people have been getting infected, wearing long pants, long sleeves, and you know, just trying to do everything you can to you know, help prevent it on the personal level. Well, Casey Karen, thank you for bringing this interesting, slightly scary conversation <laughs> to us here on Georgia College Connections. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome, guys. Thank you for coming out. You've been listening to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. Today, we convened another in our series of collaborations with the Georgia College STEM Club to bring their science cafe to our radio audience. In this episode, we talked about the Zika virus in advance of the next Science Cafe, which will take place at 6.30 p.m. Monday, February 27th, in the basement of the Blackbird Coffee in downtown Milledgeville. I was joined in the studio by Casey Karen. She is a biology professor at Georgia College. I've been your host, Daniel McDonald. It's been my pleasure spending a portion of this evening with you here on Georgia College Connections, and I want you to know that I look forward to convening with you next time.
You're listening to WRGC 88.3 FM, a broadcast service of Georgia College, Georgia's public liberal arts university.